Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we take a very special moment to reflect on the victims of domestic violence as we honor National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And hang on to your seats, folks. This will be a tearjerker and an issue that is very important to our society and is a problem in America. Hang on to your seats, folks. We take a look into the horrific world of domestic violence, the injustice, and how do we deal with that? Hang on to your seats, folks. We're coming right at you.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Jeanette Williams. And uh, I'll tell you tonight, folks, this is a serious issue that we have to address. The fighting the injustice of domestic violence, we are honored tonight to have in studio, which will be joining us shortly as part of this program, we have Justina Ramirez, a victim of domestic violence. She's going to share her story tonight. And, folks, I'll tell you right now, Get the clinics out because this is a tearjerker and a heart puller, if you will. We're also joined by her daughters, Yasmina and Jamilia. And ladies, how are you doing tonight? Okay. Tell America how you're doing tonight. We're good. Okay. And Justina, how are you? I'm actually very well and I'm pleased to be here. Thank you so much. And uh, we want you guys to know that you have a support in AJC Radio and uh, – uh, this is an, an important topic, and again, we're going to get to, to you ladies here momentarily. Uh, it's a little different. You may want to pull the mic up to your face and kind of, they say, eat the mic, uh, and that's for the purpose that everybody can hear you. Um, so you're fine with that, and you guys good? Yes. There we go. I'm All right. <laughs> okay. All right, folks, uh, and uh, Lisa, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Lamont. All right, Jeanette, you're well? Yes, sir. And uh, Lisa, read our disclaimer before we get going here on this topic tonight. Okay, we just want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide any legal advice. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, you want to contact your own personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. And the, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend a little time with us this evening. And thank you for that, Lisa. And we also will be joined here momentarily uh, at the bottom of the hour with Judy Benitez, as I believe I'm pronouncing that right. She is the uh, deputy director of the National uh, Network to End Domestic Violence um, and works with our friend Lisa, uh, who was on the show, uh, Ron Legrand, who's yeah. vice president of that. And uh, she's going to be joining us, giving some insight. It looks like she is the director of the Transitional Housing Program uh, states that she has more than 25 years of experience in advance, excuse me, as an advocate for survivors of domestic violence. And that's a, a key piece of information uh, for uh, ladies out there that are suffering at the hands of domestic violence. And we're going to dig into that here shortly. Uh, this show is all, all the shows that we do are dedicated to the IRP6, wrongfully convicted gentlemen, uh, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. This show, as all shows, are dedicated to them uh, as the Just Cause was born as a result of the injustice uh, that happened with these six gentlemen. And we're going to get into that a little later in the program of what you didn't know about the IRP6 case. Uh, so we're going to go into some current news uh, that's currently going on right now in the country. Um, I believe, uh, Lisa, that we were talking earlier uh, in regards uh, to a couple of things happening across the country right now. Um, and I'll tell you what, one of the things that we are paying very, very close attention to, uh, right now at least, is the political uh, stage, if you will, what's going on. And as we very, very shortly uh, will be electing a new president of the United States here, uh, and when you look at it, October, uh, we're looking at November in less than, is that less than two weeks? That's less than two weeks. Yeah, that's real close. Away. We're in November, a year from a national election. In Lamont? Yes. We're looking at Joe Biden possibly well, throwing his hat in the ring. Uh, you know, got a great deal of respect for the vice president, uh, a, a, a very cordial gentleman. I have followed uh, Vice President Biden through the years uh, in public office. 
uh, when he was the judiciary uh, chair of the Judiciary Committee in Congress, um, done some really, really good things. He has suffered some serious loss, uh, the death of his son of late, uh, who passed away. And uh, I guess questions are being asked, can the vice president step out of that grief, if you will, and get into a race that uh, he's very popular with Republicans and Democrats, uh, is able over the years of his experience to work with the others, go to the other side of the aisle and actually work uh, with other lawmakers. Uh, That's critical as the president of the United States, uh, and he has been vice president of the United States for the last eight years. So uh, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, We wish him the best of whatever his decision is. I'm sure he'll be supported uh, by a lot of people. And to that note, in regards to this show tonight, uh, Senator uh, Vice President Biden uh, actually started to uh, end violence against women act 20 years ago. Uh, he actually was the, uh, if you will, the, the, the molder or the founder of pushing forward to stop violence against women. Um, the president signed that into law a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, President Obama. we got some clips on that that we'll be able to actually hear a little bit about that. Uh, Speaks to the character of the vice president, that it's about making America safe, protecting our children. Uh, We're going to get a huge perspective tonight uh, on every possible uh, uh, thing you can think of in regards uh, to domestic violence. Jeanette, as we get into this topic of domestic violence and what we are seeing in this nation, how important is it that awareness be brought to the, to the millions of homes across the United States tonight with this program? It's of the utmost importance, Vermont, because I think this is something that too often goes ignored. And it, it, we need to shine a light on this because more people are being affected by this than what we even think possible. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those things, folks, uh, you know, we tend to think that if we just stay in our little cubbyhole, stay at home and not worry too much about it, Uh, that the problem will go away, I can tell you right now, it just doesn't work that way. And this is something that uh, that we actually must really take a look at. Lawmakers are concerned about it. This is somebody's mother. This is somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, somebody's granddaughter, somebody's niece uh, that are the victims of this violence that cannot, Lisa, as we talk about these things and and see it, uh, you know, the opening clip gives you chills all over. Uh, but that is reality, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is not something that is a Hollywood production or some type of act out of New York Broadway. These are real lives. These are real people that are dying, that are injured, that live in fear. And this is an epidemic we're going to dig into tonight. And I guarantee you uh, it will be worth you tuning in and staying uh, tuned in to the program tonight. Um, some other stories going on right now. Uh, a few things. Uh, give me a moment here. Um, we heard the story, Lisa, in regards to, uh, and this is still on the political spectrum, uh, with Trump, uh, Donald Trump, uh, running for the presidency. Um, yeah. There, uh, what do you say with that? Uh, we got to be careful. I guess there's been some uh, statements made. Uh, I guess uh, uh, Bush out of Florida, uh, the governor Bush out of Florida is making statements that Trump is dangerous. Uh, this is what we're hearing. We're hearing a lot of things. Uh, from a lot of people about Donald Trump. Uh, it takes a little more than being a good businessman to run a country. And, uh, and my understanding is... He has to also is, be a good human. He's not quite making absolutely. a big deal on that one. Well, That's I think true. personally what he's done, he set himself in a bad situation, uh, attacking Latinas, attacking women. Uh, you know, some of the things that you just know, and not, not even being a politician, 
you know, it's just hands off. You can't mess with those things because it becomes a major, uh, major issue. Uh, but again, everybody votes their conscience, uh, and we'll see what happens as this presidential race kind of, kind of opens up uh, and gets into some other dynamics. And uh, again, you can check any news station across the country talking about Donald Trump and uh, the presidential candidates as we get ready for, again, another election. We would like to address an issue tonight, Lisa, uh, in regards to the ADX prison camp here in Florence, Colorado, uh, the abuse to families of the IRP-6, the blatant threats, acts of intimidation that's going on that Director Samuels or dictator Warden Stencil, uh, uh, coward, whatever you want to call him, that sits behind a wall and does nothing and implements actions of his cronies, if you will, and those COs up there that are blatantly abusing the families. Yes. Of the IRP six. And we Lisa, we, we discussed this before, as acts of retaliation for the stand that a just cause has taken an injustice. And now we are at a point where we now raise the question to Congress, to the Department of Justice, in regards to the death of Michael Anderson, forty four years old, who was so uh excited at least, if you will, about getting on with his life after doing two years. And I'll tell you right now, from being wrongfully convicted, two years, if somebody comes with a two-year sentence, we call them already short and headed home when they get there. Um, so that doesn't stand the reason this man would take his life. No, it does not. And the fact that the federal prison offered to cremate his body, which is against protocol of what the Bureau of Prisons website. Lisa, your thoughts on that? You don't have to think about it a whole lot to know that there is something badly wrong with the prison making that type of gesture. It's obvious they're trying to cover something up. They're trying to hide something. There's no question about it. That prison, they're not concerned about the family. They're not trying to help. They're trying to cover up what they did. Absolutely. That's the only reason that there could possibly be for that happening. They're not, they're not trying to help. They haven't tried to help anybody at all this time. All they've ever tried to do was uh, be a thorn in everyone's side. They're not trying to help. No, no, absolutely. And uh, I'll tell you what, the Department of Justice, uh, members of Congress of the Judiciary have been notified in regards to this type of abuse. And, Lisa, the thing here, the abuse continues to escalate, but it escalates from the door of Director Samuels in Washington, D.C., who fails to act, his failure to act, his failure to deal with these issues speaks to one thing. He is complicit in this abuse. Absolutely. That's the bottom line. When the, stops with him. Well, when family members come in, you have a senior citizen who falls out of a chair, the mother of one of the IRP6, who on numerous occasions, the Bureau of Prison was warned about the chairs, was told that they were flimsy, that they were not safe, they ignored that. And they continue to target the IRP-6, target the families, harass the families, and told one of the seniors to get to the back of the line. Yep. And if I'm not mistaken, segregation ended a long time ago. I think right. it did. Yep. So this is something that, uh, that, that we're going to continue to look at. We will continue to press the issue with members of Congress that we have met with. We will meet them again. Oh, yeah. We have sent information to members of Congress. We again, and to the Bureau of Prisons Director, if you happen to be tuned in tonight, uh, I suggest you walk out of that office early because you're doing absolutely nothing there right now. The warden, you put a token black man who's a yes boy 
that decides to say yes to everything that the Bureau of Prison is doing and has no guts to stand and do the right thing. It is what it is. Agency Radio will not shy away from this type of abuse and treatment. We will speak out against it. And uh, so keep keep, uh, keep a lookout on that. We will continue to speak to that issue. And you can find all that information at adjustcalls.com uh, as well as ajcradio.com uh, as well. Uh, but this is this is tragic. And at least I think our concern was with the acts of retaliation. If they killed a 44-year-old man with a two-year sentence who had not suffered even this type of harassment on this level, That's right. our question to the Department of Justice and our statement to the Department of Justice and our statement to members of Congress and to the president is that do we fill six body bags? Before we begin to act, will these six men be victims of solitary confinement murder that is going on at Florence Prison? That's a question that we'll ask, and we'll continue to ask that question. So, uh, folks, tune in, and uh, we will keep you posted on that. And uh, it is a reality, uh, and I, I think one statement, I'll mention this, one statement was made to the lady who injured herself in the chair to go to the ambulance door, was told, you can't get on without paying me some money. Did I hear that correctly? Oh, you heard that right. He said, you're not getting in my ambulance unless you pay me up front. Oh, my God. It doesn't happen. And, yeah. And, again, that's the culture that has been set um, uh, at Florence ADX Prison in Florence, Colorado. Is that the correct name, Lisa? That's it. This is sick. This is just sick. Well, it is. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that uh, kind of trouble you a little bit, keeps you, you know, Wondering what's going on and why are these men, and here's the difference. These men are model inmates. Yeah, they're causing no problems. No problems. They they're do not it. giving you any grief. You're not having to discipline them on a constant. They do absolutely nothing. They follow the rules. They do what they're told. They have not given you one bit of grief since they've been there for over three years. And, not one bit of grief. And the bottom line, Lisa, is the buck stops at the top. If they're not doing anything to change this situation, that means they are downright endorsing it. They're that's in, right. They're endorsing it. That's right. That's what they're doing. Well, that's what they're doing. And when you fail to act, I said we're going to have a show on this program called You Do Not Have the Right to Remain Silent. So <laughs> right. uh, we're going to dig into that. And uh, that's uh, some other things that are going on. Um, and, again, as we have said tonight, we will begin to take a look the victims, the casualties of domestic violence in this country. And we are so blessed tonight to have... Uh, in our studio, Justina Ramirez. And, uh, Justina, we're going to be dealing with your tragedy, and uh, we appreciate you having the courage uh, tonight. Uh, and they are in the studio, her and her two daughters, uh, Yasmina and Jamelia. I'm making sure I don't do anything wrong with those <laughs> names. And, uh, folks, this is a very important program. Call your family, your friends. Uh, these are conversations that are not popular they don't make you want to sit around the kitchen table and talk about them, but I'll tell you right now, until you talk and learn and understand, to be a victim of domestic violence is a horrific nightmare. It is a horror movie in the worst kind of way, and it's the worst reality show that you'll ever actually lay your eyes upon. Tonight, we go into that world of domestic violence, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, please tune in. Uh, right now in Washington, D.C., we're coming right back. In Washington, D.C., the temperature is 60 degrees, Los Angeles 77, New York 65, Colorado Springs 67 degrees. And we're getting ready to take off and take a trip into the horrible world of domestic violence, but an important one and an informative one. Hang with us, ladies and gentlemen. This is AJC Radio. I'm Lamar Banks along with Lisa Stewart. Jeanette Williams, we're taking a trip 
into a very serious world of domestic violence. Hang on to your seats, folks. We're coming right back at you here on AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the month of October happens to be the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, an issue that is crippling America, destroying families, and shattering homes. Today, we take a moment to reflect and to remember the victims of domestic violence. We want you to know there is a way out. Ron Legrand in Washington, D.C., the vice president of the National Network to End Domestic Violence has set out on a journey to execute change. That is about saving lives, saving mothers, saving daughters, saving friends from the cruelty of domestic violence. We ask that if you have any issues, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 as we heal the wounds of domestic violence as a nation. AJC Radio takes a moment to remember the victims and our fight will always continue. Our children are literally eating themselves to death. Many experts predict that this may be the first generation of children that doesn't live as long as their parents because of the problem of obesity. A quarter of American children don't exercise regularly. The average school-aged child watches four to six hours of TV every day, bombarded by commercials for fast food and junk. How you make these kinds of lifestyle changes in your kids is to make them yourself. Make the effort. Fight childhood obesity. A message from the Government of Canada. Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents that are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. The community. The community. Become a part of the community. no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we have the privilege of going into a topic and fighting the injustice of domestic violence that is shaking a nation and awareness is being brought to the table. 
as we seek to save the lives of our women, our daughters, our children uh, who suffer at the hand of domestic violence. And uh, if you want to join into this conversation tonight, please feel free to call 347-838-8976. And uh, folks, uh, Lisa, as we were talking earlier, the importance of this, uh, I don't believe we can put a I think it's in, it's impossible to put how important this really is uh, when you're dealing with lives of, of, of women that are suffering not only death but huge injuries children that are affected uh, we're going to get into all of that tonight folks hang on you may want to put the kids down early give them a brownie or a chocolate chip cookie and a glass of milk and send them maybe to their rooms because this gets very adult uh, if you will and the horrors we are going to shine the light. We will not shy away from it, but we will demonstrate the truth yeah. and the violence of domestic violence. Joining us right now, Judy Benitez and I. Benitez. Pr- Benitez and I. Pr- again, I was going to say I pray I have pronounced that correctly, and I had the opportunity to talk to Judy. Uh, works with Ron, Vice President of the National Network to End Domestic Violence. Uh, works with our friend Ron Legrand in Washington D.C. And Judy, how are you this evening? Welcome to the program. I'm fine, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. You know, and thank you so much uh, for taking some time. I uh, understand you are doing some things this evening, and we thank you for any time that you have uh, to spend with us in America on this very important issue of stopping, as we reflect on the victims of domestic violence. Uh, I'll let you just introduce yourself to our audience, to our guests tonight, and tell us what you are doing there to make a difference with domestic violence. Certainly. Well, I work with, uh, my name is Judy Benitez, and I am the Deputy Director of the Transitional Housing Program at the National Network to End Domestic Violence. The National Network to End Domestic Violence is a uh, national uh, nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C., that serves uh, to to, um, create awareness of domestic violence across the nation and also to assist uh, the direct service providers at the community level as well as state sexual assault coalitions uh, throughout the states and territories in their efforts to ensure that survivors have the services that they desperately need and deserve and that uh, systems are responding to domestic violence survivors in a way that is appropriate and um, and ensuring or, or trying to work towards uh, their uh, healing from what's what's done to them and holding the offender accountable. And uh, my particular role as the deputy director of the transitional housing program, we work with uh, recipients of grants from the uh, U.S. Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women uh, in the transitional housing grant program. And um, the grantees across the states and territories provide uh, housing uh, of time periods between six months and 24 months, as well as supportive services to people who are um, homeless or in need of housing because of domestic violence, dating violence, sexual assault, and or stalking. And uh, so these uh, folks, various types of organizations across the country, including some nonprofit and some governmental agencies, 
um, have grants from the Office on Violence Against Women, and we are there to provide them with training and technical assistance with any questions that they might have about um, how to go about doing this in the best way possible, how to make the maximum use of the uh, grant dollars that they've been allocated, and how to best support survivors as they try to, um, you know, recover from, from the violence and trauma that's been inflicted upon them and try to become independent and self-sufficient and able to um, uh, increase their income so that at the end of their time in transitional housing, they're able to sustain uh, their own safe and appropriate housing. Sure. And, Judy, as you talk about what you are doing, government programs that are in place, it seems like the country uh, is sincerely crying out to stop this violence. Uh, I turn on my TV every day. I see some type of commercial, some type of message from high-ranking officials to celebrities in Hollywood saying we must stop domestic violence. Uh, I can imagine, and I'll pose this question to you, that when you see these women, a lot of these women started out very strong, independent, uh, set out on a on a vision or a dream, if you will, of life to accomplish things, to be a good mother uh, to their children. When you see these women, when you when they get to your to the state where you're having to step in and make sure that things are set up as they try to rebuild, it sounds like to me there is a shattering of the person, a a shedding of the person where they lose all direction of who they. That's the impact from what I'm getting from of domestic violence. It strips a woman. Of everything. By the time you get her or see her, she's in pieces. How difficult is it to restore that strength or that hope that they can definitely make it better and get back on their feet? Well, and of course, at the National Network to End Domestic Violence, we don't work directly with survivors of domestic violence, but we support those who do. Um, Nevertheless, I, I have worked in that role in the past, and I understand, you know, the the substance of your question. And I I think that it it is accurate to say that depending on, of course, you know, every person is different, every experience is different, and survivors are the experts on their own personal experiences. But depending on the type of abuse that they suffered and how long it went on for, how long they were with the person, you know, domestic violence at, at, at its core is really about power and control. Yeah. And when someone else has, has managed to slowly and insidiously take over control of um, virtually every aspect of your life, you don't, you're not allowed to make any decisions, you're not allowed to control your own finances, you aren't allowed to control your own sexuality, possibly your own reproductive health or, or even your reproductive system, how you take care of the children, whether or not you work. In some cases, whether or not you're allowed to leave the house, um, those types of things are, are all not very uncommon at all among domestic violence victims. And, yes, it definitely has a, a very, very harmful um, uh, impact on survivors. At no, the absolutely. same time, they, they do, re- you know, people retain their humanity. And I think that the more that they are given um, the ability to make choices about their own lives and to, you know, really decide uh, with support from, from outside people, but to make their own decisions about how do they want to proceed 
whether or not they want to make certain decisions about, um, you know, the criminal justice system and, and things like that, or, you know, what kind of job they might want to get, whether they want to leave the immediate area or if they want to try to stay. Um, you know, there, there's a million different decisions that we all make every day um, that a lot of people have just had that ability to make those decisions and have control over their lives taken away from them. And when they realize that, no, you really are in charge here, this is your life, and you are the one who gets to decide, you know, where you're going to work, what kind of work you're going to do, if you're going to go back to school, um, if you have children, you know, how, where are they going to go to school? How are you going to raise them? Do you want to move to a different part of the country or a different part of the state? Um, and making those decisions and realizing, you know, I'm making good decisions, we can um, we can develop and resume a, a healthy, in every way, physically and emotionally, uh, you know, a healthy life, um, that really gets people back to who they were prior to the abuse. And, and Judy, I'm looking at your portfolio. I have to call it that because it is extensive. With your experience, I mean, it says here that you have lectured in 42 states here in the United States, Canada, Puerto Rico, hundreds of statewide national, international conferences on crime, victimization, sexual violence, violence against women. Uh, it says that you are currently a consultant with the United States Department of Justice, Office for Victims of Crime, training, technical assistance a peer reviewer for the U.S. Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women. Uh, I think, Lisa, we found another hero among the ashes, uh, <laughs> Judy, that you're doing some good things. It looks like you've appeared on CNN, CBS News, ABC, Fox, uh, National Public Radio. We are honored to have you grace our radio uh, program tonight. And uh, we, our hats off to you for all the work that you are doing. Um, and I know Ron, uh, Ron Legrand, who, who's, who's appeared on this show, uh, speaks yeah. very highly, passionate. Uh, how is it? It seems like for what you folks are doing, it takes a team of effort. And it looks like you guys are a pretty solid team there at, uh, in Washington and, and working together. How do you keep that formula going? I, I presume it's the passion to make a difference. Your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. It, it absolutely is uh, about passion and, and really a feeling that um, this is part of your you know, your life's work and the things that we all decide to do to try to make the world a better place. Um, and people do that in a variety of different ways. Um, it might be through your job. It might be through raising happy, happy healthy children who become contributing members of society. Um, you know, there's all different ways that people go about that. It might be through volunteer work or work through their faith community. Um, but it definitely takes a team. Um, and at, at NNEDV, we definitely work in teams all the time and do things collaboratively. And, you know, there, there's no, um, there's really not a lot of individual glory. It's all a team effort. Oh. And, and we're, you know, our whole reason for being there is to support the teams that are working directly with survivors in the states and territories um, and doing policy and advocacy work at both the local and state level. So, you know, we're yeah. we're there to support them and, and also do work at the national level. So it definitely is a matter of teamwork. Oh, that's awesome. And Judy, this is Lisa. Um, I had a question for you. Um, in the work that you're doing I know I've dealt with on occasion, I've had occasion to deal with um, different women in different situations 
where they've had to deal with uh, violence at home and situations with their spouses. Um, and I found that a lot of women uh, have a difficult time leaving their abusive partner, have a difficult time getting out of that. Um, my, my understanding of that is that a lot of women, um, well, it's not always that case, but I know a lot of women have a difficult time leaving when they have nowhere else to go. Uh, a lot of women are just, they feel just, they feel like they can't leave. Even when you offer them a place to go, they feel trapped in that situation like they can't leave. Do you find that a lot with the women that you deal with, that they're unable to leave? I, yes, absolutely. And I think that there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, some of them are are very deliberately created by the abuser, such as financial dependence and so on. And, and sometimes it's just a matter of, um, you know, this person, although they look to the outside world to be completely 100% evil or in the wrong or whatever, you know, the fact remains that this is someone that they have loved, may still love. This is possibly the father of their children. Um, it's someone that they have with whom they have a shared history. And, you know, there are often uh, periods of time when the relationship does not feel negative and destructive, when it actually feels um, enjoyable to to uh, the survivor. So it, it's really, you know, you have to remember that what you're talking about here is a, a relationship between human beings. And so, you know, when you think about any relationship that, that you've had, in the past, not necessarily even a romantic relationship, but sometimes with family members, with coworkers, with friends, you know, I'm sure you can think of people that really get on your nerves and you would love to never be around them if only you didn't love them so much, you know. And I think that that's a pretty common experience. And, um, you know, usually by the time it gets to uh, there being violence taking place between the two people, it doesn't just you know, people don't come up to someone on the first date and, and hit them. You know, it's not like that. It's a, a relationship that develops over time, and the abuse develops over time as well after the relationship is is clearly, you know, solidified. So it, it gets very complicated, and it is very difficult for, for victims to leave. Um, domestic violence victims uh, average seven times of leaving and going back, and it's they face so many different barriers. Um, often those are financial, um, but it might be, you know, social barriers, uh, people telling them that, you know, they shouldn't have a broken home, or it might be, you know, church-generated um, uh, pressure to stay together. There's there's all different kinds of things. But, yeah, survivors, it, it definitely is not as easy as them just hopping in the car with their kids and going to their summer home to stay for a while. You know, it's not like that for most people. Right, right. And I think, uh, Judy, uh, joining us in studio tonight is Justina Ramirez, uh, and I'm going to let her tell a little bit about her story. We're going to come back and forth. I know you're limited on time. Is that right, Judy? I mean, um, uh, yes. yes, Judy. I'm, it is Judy. I'm I'll sorry. Time I, left. That's fine. Okay, so I want to introduce Justina Ramirez. Justina, thank you for joining us tonight. She is in studio with her two daughters, uh, Yasmina and Jamilia. And we're going to get a little bit in the conversation. I'd like us to kind of discuss that together uh, and welcome Justina. As you hear um, Judy talking tonight, mm -hmm. what she is saying, what the culture is, if you will, and how that gradually uh, becomes an issue. Your thoughts on what she has said so far? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to thank Miss Judy for all the work she's doing. Um, me as being a victim and now a survivor. 
That's sure. very important to put that out there. Um, thank her deeply because a lot of what's plaguing our communities, I feel, is the no accountability. Sure. Um, I'm dealing with going through the system as we speak. Um, still not feeling all the way safe enough to come out and share everything. Sure. Us um, doing it here. I appreciate that. No, and we thank you for that. And I think the, the big picture. Yes. Thank you. And, and Judy, I think the big picture here is that not only do you have survivors, but we have to deal with the non-survivors, those that have mm-hmm. died. The statistics that we show here, and this was in, I believe it's one in five, every one in five women in this country are killed or faced with domestic violence. Is that, am I doing the stats right well, on that? it's about 4,000 women For die, a year. die yearly. 4,000 right. lives. At the hands of someone else. That is incomprehensible mm-hmm. to me. This is why at the hands of someone that says that they love them. Yes. How sick is that? Uh, I think that it's, coming it's from really reprehensible. Exactly, and coming from a situation where uh, the woman is groomed to be his support and groomed, and 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 she develops the relationship with sure. him. Uh, it's devastating when you're the one you feel are the breaking down the family because that's what you've been. Pressure to feel. Sure. Uh, and, and then the women, I would presume, feel or uh, go through a low self-esteem issue that I am the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the numbers are outrageous. 4,000 lives, 4,000 mothers, sisters, daughters, nieces. This is unbelievable. Just the fact that one out of four women will experience domestic violence once in their lifetime. They might not die from it, but they're going to go through it. But they'll never be the same. Never. There's there's no way I could never be who I was uh, maybe three weeks ago. Well, <clears throat> that's something. We have a phone call. Uh, a caller, Lisa, that wants to make a comment. Uh, uh, looks like we lost her a lot. Okay, so call back in if you got disconnected. Uh, this is serious business. Um, Judy, you know, it takes a special person to do what you do. It has to be in your face every day. You know, I, I can tell you putting some things together for this program shook me to the core. The things I heard, the things I read is un- in America where law enforcement is supposed to be there. And, Justina, we talked earlier this week in regards to a statement being made by someone. Mm-hmm. I guess you were seeking for more help from the, from the local officials. Right. Did they make the statement that there was nothing else they could do? At one point, they told me pretty much uh, because he's coming still consistently to my home. I have a restraining order for me and the children. I went back and actually reapplied for the restraining order that, again that we have. And um, I was told at one point, the police officer said I was a nice lady, and uh, he pretty much said there wasn't a lot that they could do. They would want to put somebody outside my house, but they couldn't afford it and just keep calling. Okay, wait a minute. All right. So we have the police Mm -hmm. who are here to serve and protect to make a statement to a young lady who is being stalked Mm -hmm. and waiting to be another statistic. You're going to tell somebody... That you're a nice lady. Look, keep the compliments. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I need to know that I'm safe. So every day, th- this tells you the lack of power of a restraining order. 
not only lack of power restraining order, but the lack of a power that the woman feels inside of her home with her children who know that that there's nothing out there that can help her, you know, willing the forces outside of the home. That is, that is, well, that piece of paper is not going to protect anybody. Well, a piece of paper doesn't a stop a bullet. Of, what are you going to do, throw it at him? That's not, going to, that's not going to do you any good. Exactly. And that is the seriousness, Judy, of this topic. Why America is crying out for help. If you see, if the cop goes on the street and sees a man or a woman crying for help, and he drives by and says, hey, I'd like to stop, but I'm headed to get some donuts and coffee. We'll be back. <laughs> Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you tell this lady that's suffering from fear, imagine that. What is, what is going on in America? What well, is going on in America? I would have to say that I don't think that the criminal legal system is not set up to handle stalkers in the way that would maybe keep people safe, but I have seen stalkers and batterers and, and people like that in their in their creativity and the amount of free time that they appear to have on their hands still be able to get around people that even do have 24-7 protection. And, I mean, you know, the reason many women don't seek a protective order because they know that that will enrage uh, the batterer further and oh. it's not going to stop someone who is intent on doing you harm. Um, they're really, you know, to, to me, we have to approach it in a different way because the fact is some people aren't even comfortable contacting the criminal legal system, as I'm sure you, you're very well aware. And so we really have to stop this kind of thing way before it even gets to that point. And that happens with those one-on-one interactions um, between people and batterers. And I, I recognize that, it, you know, this isn't something that's known to the batterer or the abuser's family members or friends or coworkers in every situation. Often it's, it's not. Often there are people that act like the greatest guy when they're around anyone but uh, their no. their wife or their girlfriend or whoever it is that they're abusing. Um, but when there is any kind of inkling that this person is behaving in a disrespectful way towards their partners, we all owe it to one another to, to call that person out on it before it becomes um, a situation where there's physical violence going on and threats and stalking and all of that. It has to be behavior that is universally looked at as a society as abhorrent and and you know unallowable in the same way that you know years ago drunk driving used to be you know not really looked at as that big a deal and now it's you know it's not something that i mean obviously it still happens but it's not something that people condone in the way that they used to just kind of say well you know it's his life now we realize it's not his life. It's his life and the lives of everyone else driving on the street. And sure. we have to take the same attitude towards people who are violent, towards the, the people that they um, are supposedly love and are trying to build a, you know, a family with. You, you know, if, you, if you're if you being uh, disrespectful and violent towards the, the more vulnerable people in your life, you deserve to be called out on that. No, absolutely. I agree with that. Uh, Judy, we're gonna, on the other side of the break, we're going to bring you back with us. Uh, we get some comments. I believe uh, uh, Justina has a comment. We're going to get that on the other oh, side of this break. Fine. And we also have a caller uh, that's going to be making a comment. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a 
alarming statistic. It says here that women with disabilities are 40% more likely to experience intimate partner violence, especially severe violence, than women without disabilities. So going to your point that they prey upon the weak or the perceived weak, this is a sickness and a cancer that has to be exacted from the United States of America and around the world. This is a universal problem. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Jeanette Williams, along with Justina Ramirez, Yasmina, and Jamelia, her daughters. And we are joined by Judy. Is it, Lisa, pronounce that for me? Benitez. Benitez. I, say, I, keep, I keep saying Benitez, but it's Benitez. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so our apologies <laughs> on that. Folks, we're coming back. America, stay at your seats. We're going to get even deeper into this conversation as we go down the door or the street or the journey of domestic violence. We're coming right back with you. Hang in there. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. This is Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart and Jeanette Williams. And we are joined tonight uh, with a very special guest in studio, Justina Ramirez, Jamila, and Yasmina. Jamila. I said Jamila. No, you didn't. Didn't I say Jamila? Uh, we're joined by some very special ladies. I'll say the names for you. We're gonna, we're gonna, I just said, Jam- that. You said Jamila. Is that right? Jamila uh, is what we were told, folks. But either way, these are special ladies that have joined us tonight, along with our very special guest from the National Network to End Domestic Violence, and Judy Benitez. Judy Benitez. There you go. There we go. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, folks, well, we deal with a very serious issue tonight, um, and that's domestic violence. And we have 
uh, heard from uh, Judy, and thanks for joining us, Judy, uh, and being with us tonight on this very important uh, program, uh, recognizing uh, uh, the point of remembering the victims of domestic violence and the seriousness uh, of domestic violence to the point where our president uh, is even speaking on this issue. He made a, a, a plea to America and to the entertainers of this country regarding domestic violence. Let's see what the president had to say. And together we can change our culture for the better by ending violence against women and girls. Right now, nearly one in five women in America has been a victim of rape or attempted rape. And more than one in four women has experienced some form of domestic violence. It's not okay, and it has to stop. Artists have a unique power to change minds and attitudes and get us thinking and talking about what matters. And all of us, in our own lives, have the power to set an example. Join our campaign to stop this violence. Go to itsonus.org and take the pledge. And to the artists at the Grammys tonight, I ask you to ask your fans to do it too. It's on us, all of us, to create a culture where violence isn't tolerated, where survivors are supported, and where all our young people, men and women, can go as far as their talents and their dreams will take them. Thanks. And there you go, the President of the United States, President Barack Obama, speaking to the issue of domestic violence and reaching out to the entertainment world. This seems to touch on everybody, Lisa, as you hear the President address with a sincere plea that our girls, our uh, women, are being put through this type of horrific uh, tragedy. I mean, yeah. How important when the president comes out and speaks mm-hmm. on an issue that that's very that tells you the epidemic that's happening in America. Judy, thank you for joining us. Are you still with us? Yes, I am. Okay, looks like we got a couple of callers that have some questions or comments, and we're definitely going to dig into Justina's story. Uh, we're going to hear from her daughters uh, and uh, get ready to go forward here. Lisa, who do we have? Okay, we have Gina on the line. Gina, you're live. You had a comment or a question? I did. Um, thank you for taking my call. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I was calling because, um, you know, I, I commend Christina and, and, and Judy for being on the show, and thank you guys for dealing with this subject. My question is, um, you know, I, I know that, that oftentimes they feel, uh, battered women feel the, the, the heaviness of the abuse from the abuser, but I, I think there's also a stigma and a, and a victimization by society toward these women, mm-hmm. toward toward people in that situation that, you know, I don't think they're taken seriously. You know, uh, when when by the time they're taken seriously, it's oftentimes too late. The extent that, that the uh, authorities go to allow an abuser to keep abusing before they actually do something in, on behalf of the victim is just ridiculous, I think, in many cases. And I just wanted to get what their what their thoughts and, and opinions are on that. Uh, okay. Brother, my, briefly before we uh, went to break, I expressed to you um, going through the court system and being in front of the judge receiving another restraining order for him, how he openly carried and how we felt endangered every time he was at my home. 
And at that point, the judge says she was unable to even take away that right from him because he wasn't there, meaning he's still on the run. Um, and at that point, I knew that there wasn't a lot I was going to be able to receive from the system yeah. in that sense. Judy, your thoughts on uh, Gina's comments? Um, I Actually, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, we as a society, in, in a variety of ways, we blame victims for their own victimization. And it's insane. Um, people like to think, you know, we look down on victims of domestic violence, victims of sexual assault, um, even homeless people, and, and, and figure out a way that, you know, we would never end up in that position, when the truth is that it can happen to anybody, um, no matter how strong you think you are or how solid, uh, you know, a foundation you have in terms of support system, you just don't know um, what life is going to throw your way. And when you're targeted by someone who is intent on controlling you, um, I, I think a whole lot of people have been very surprised um, that they ended up in a situation like that. But the fact is, it is not the survivor's fault for being victimized. It is the fault of the abuser. And there are many, many barriers that survivors face to leaving uh, a violent situation. And 100% of them could be avoided if um, the abuser would choose different uh, behaviors and actions. He, he has the ability to stop this in its tracks. Um, I have found that when there, when there is a domestic violence homicide, people tend to say two questions. What could she have done differently? What choices could she have made that were different? And what, if anything, could the system or the community or somebody have done, somebody external have done that would have helped her? Nobody says, why did he make the choice to batter her and then kill her? Nobody says that. You know, uh, batterers are not an earthquake or a tornado or some force of nature that we have no way of stopping. They are human beings just like we all are. They are making choices when they do these things. And it's time we hold them accountable and sure. stop blaming victims for being victimized. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah. Oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. And this stat really bothers me. It says the number of American troops killed in Afghanistan and Iraq between 2001 and 2012 was 6,488 people. The number of American women who were murdered by current or ex-male partners during that time was 11,766. No accountability. There's you, no accountability. Sure. Now, what you see here is that we're at war. This is war. Yeah. People are more pe less people are dying on the battlefield than victims of domestic violence in America. Oh that is outrageous to me. By the people that are closest to you, usually. Mm -hmm. That's 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 unbelievable. And I think you're right, Judy, when you say it's time that we hold them accountable. While we're throwing nonviolent offenders in prison. While we're throwing mm -hmm. innocent people in prison, white-collar crime people in prison, and you let domestic violent uh, uh, animals, if you will, who prey upon women, they just walk the streets free. We got it backwards here in America, ladies and gentlemen. That number is startling. It says the number of women murdered every day by domestic violence is three women a day. 
And Lamont, like that's insane. Like like so many other situations, people don't get involved unless it happens to them. So many times you're waiting. What I'm hearing tonight is the authorities wait until it's too late. They wait until the damage has been done before they do something about it. Why does it, why does it have to cost somebody their life before you step well, up and say, you know, like you were talking about, your job is to protect and to serve, but you're waiting until the aftermath and then trying to clean it up. So many times the the issues get ignored until it comes knocking on your de- doorstep. That's when you realize well, how important the issue is. Well, we say it all the time on this program that America is family, and it is high time that people be held accountable. 4,000 funerals a year? 4,000 funerals a year are carried out as a result of domestic violence. That, no wonder the cry is. And Justina... I'd like to hear from uh, your two girls, uh, 18 and 17 years old, and um, Jasmina, Jasmina, when you see what your mother has endured, Mm -hmm. we like to talk about the impact of domestic violence, but children are the innocent victims as well. Yeah. To see, because you love your mother. Very much. And to see what does that do to you as a young lady? Does it insp- what what thoughts and emotions go through your mind when you see something on this level? Well, I mean, when I first saw my mother getting abused the first time, I was very upset because you know I have other siblings, I have little siblings, and I just I was upset. I was like, why is this happening? You know, what 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 did we do? What did you do? Because that's the question that everyone asks. Sure. You know, and being a daughter, that's you know, pretty much, like, what did you do wrong, mother? Like, that's what I ask. And being the oldest, I have to, um, I don't know, I feel like I have to put up a front and be strong and, and um, for her and for my other little siblings because there's a lot of us. Sure. But I think that being firsthand and seeing this, I, I I know it's wrong, but, like, I just feel like it's, you, you accept it. And you kind of work around it after being around it for a while. You, and, it, and it becomes your reality. You know what I mean? It, it becomes, you just, you don't really know what is wrong anymore. You know sure. what I mean? So. And uh, Jamila? Yes, yes, Jamila. I got that right. Yes, yes you have it right. <laughs> your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts. Um, as being the third oldest, um, I definitely was going to say a lot of, you know, the burden goes on my older sister. You know, not saying that uh, us younger ones don't look at it, you know, um, we definitely do look to my mom first, like, what did you do wrong, and why did he do it? It's always my mom first, you know. Well. And um, it's it's definitely a big impact, you know. It's definitely, you're thinking that this is okay, this is normal behavior. Or my mom is, he's not going to do it again. Forgive him. Let it go. You know, those are the things that are going through our head, and it's sure. like, okay, so we're going to forgive the people who abuse us. Okay, then that's what we're going to do. That's the thing. Okay, and to forgive, as we are clear on that, and again, I believe it's a culture. And you know what? Nobody likes conflict. You know, let's just forgive and let's get on and move on. Uh, we were talking about the show. Uh, by any means, this is real life, but it takes a minute to turn on the Lifetime Movie Network and see movie after movie after movie of domestic. And these are most Lifetime movies are, are based on true events. Yeah. And I'm sitting there, and they say it's, a, it's the network for women, but uh, I sit there <laughs> and look at this. 
and then uh, the movies that have come out that Hollywood has tried to speak to, The Burning Bed, for instance, with Farrah Fawcett, the late Farrah Fawcett, in that I have never been so angry watching a movie. And I was, I've never been so happy to see a bed put to fire. <laughs> never in my life because of the violence. I mean, without reason. You're coming in, and I knew a few people. I've met young ladies that have, over the years of my life, uh, that had been in previous abusive relationships uh, that were horrible. I mean, the guy comes home and just throws the girl through the glass sliding door and say, get my dinner. You are sick. That's a sickness. And she's getting up wondering, what, what did I do? You just went through the glass without calls. I can't even imagine the fear and all that goes with it. Lisa, who's our next caller? And Judy, we're coming right back to you. Okay, we have Kendra on the line. She had a question or a comment. Kendra, go ahead. You're live. Hi, everybody. Um, I wanted to make a comment. Um, just listening to your special guests, the children there in the studio, my heart breaks because I lived it as a child and unfortunately as an adult. And just like one of the young ladies said, you accept it as normal because that's all you know. And the things that children suffer, you shouldn't have to see that. I shouldn't have to experience this as a child. I should know what true love is, not going around having my butt kicked around like I'm a piece of trash. And I thought about, you tell yourself, I'm going to grow up, and this is not going to happen to me. But unfortunately, it happened to me because you got to deal with you and what has this really done to you on the inside. If I've lived around this for 18 years, in my case, in my life, when I get outside the home, that's all I know. And so if it comes a different way, it may not come in a form of hitting, but if it comes psychologically or mentally, you, you have no clue the damage that it does to a person. Had it not been, and I thank God today, that I can truly say that I am out of that, had it not been for my church family and for my pastor, I would have been ripped to shreds. You, you're not a whole person. You don't know what it means to function normally. But I, I'm telling you, domestic violence is awful. And for the president, the president of the United States to speak to this, something needs to be done. Nobody should have to live in fear. And most of all, you live in the shame of it. The shame of what people are going to think and this and that. And uh, to be honest, I don't need the judgment. I need help. That's sure. as so many people don't know how to ask for the help. Right. Okay. And, and that Go was ahead. my comment. No, Kendra, thank you thank for your you, call Kendra. today. And uh, Judy, you still with us? Yes. Okay, Judy, yes. we're not going to hold you to. much longer. I'd like to give you an opportunity to speak to those comments and to what Justina said and let folks know how they can get a hold of you. Uh, so they can reach you. We will post your information at AJCRadio.com. But thank you, and let's please let me hear your thoughts on those comments that were just made. Well, my heart goes out to um, both of the the women who and, and the children, both who have um, shared all of their experiences. And I know it takes a lot of courage for them to do that. Um, in particular, uh, the, the caller who just said that she doesn't need justice she needs help i think that's an important thing to remember and we all we always need to approach this as um instead of telling survivors what should happen 
uh, we need to let them tell us what it is that they need and what they want to see happen. Because, again, as I was saying before, it's a matter of, um, you know, they haven't been in control. So let's let them have control over how um, a situation is handled or, or, or what it is that we do to try to help them instead of trying to, you know, be yet another person that's uh, dictating to them what they should want or what how we're going to approach things. Let them tell us. Um, and the best way to get in touch with me and uh, all of my colleagues at the National Network to End Domestic Violence is by looking for us online and through social media. Um, our acronym is NNEDV, and our okay. website is nnedv.org, and we are on uh, Twitter and Pinterest. And uh, I don't know why I said Pinterest first, Facebook, uh, but Pinterest also and Goodreads and um, pretty much all of the social media channels. We have a very active presence um, on all of those. And uh, there, we also have a lot of resources on our website that, that folks might find useful. Well, thank you, Judy, so very, very much. I uh, understand you, you took time and to be with us outside of an event going on. We didn't want to hold you out of respect for your time. Uh, we want to, if you're open to coming back and being on our program, and we, I'll talk to you offline about some other opportunities. I think what you're doing is amazing. I think people across the country to know about it. And thank you so very much. I think what you're doing is restoring hope uh, to the hearts of women and young ladies across this country, and that doesn't have a price tag on it. Thank you so very much for joining us tonight, and uh, we will be in touch. Thank, thank you, you so Ms. very, very Judy. much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Okay, and there you have it, folks. Judy Benitez uh, <laughs> joining us tonight uh, in regards to what she's doing. I think what she's doing is huge. Um, and, Justina, we're going to get into the raw, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, mm-hmm. of what you have uh, endured. Um, and I'm going to give you the floor okay. to tell the folks how this happened. You shared with me uh, Mm -hmm. what happened, the car situation, the Mm -hmm. medical, the injuries. We're going to hear some more from the young ladies here uh, and and what their vision is. Tell the people uh, why it is so important uh, that they hear you. I understand you've started a foundation you're setting up. We'll get to that. Tell the folks how this transpired. Take us on a journey of that day when you knew you were in fear for your life. Well, um, my journey is going to have to uh, start about a year ago, even though I'm there in age. <laughs> okay. And you told me not to share yeah, that. Yeah, you better not. So we'll leave that. Okay. And um, about a year ago, when uh, he first put his hands on me and my oldest daughter um, came in, and she witnessed that. Okay. So that was that starting, and it was about six months later, because I forgave him, and he said he would never do it again, and he's sorry. And uh, it was before, and, you know, all of those things, let's keep our family together. Uh, religiously, this is the right thing for you as a woman to do, stand no, behind me. No, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject here yeah, as, as we fine. talk. He played the religious card. Oh, yes. All right. That this is, this is the religious thing. Well, can you help me understand what is the religious thing about hitting your wife? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Can you give me the religious thing on that one? But but we want to use that. That's sick. Well, there's as I'm starting to learn the wheel of domestic violence, I was involved in a lot of sicknesses sure. that I didn't uh, 
understand or realize those were domestic violence issues or scenarios I was in. Sure. Um, it happened maybe about three Saturdays ago. Okay. Um, I was going out with some of my friends. We were going to a movie. And me, uh, I was leaving the house fairly uh, around uh, just before sunset. I turn around because I forget my wallet. And I'm at a stop sign. And I see a car coming at me. So I'm beeping the horn. I'm saying, maybe you don't see me. And then he first hits me uh, on the left-hand side of the drivers. And I realized at that point that was him. And I was rolling down my window. And he was rolling down his and he said he was going to kill me. And I tried to put my car in reverse and go over the curb. Because at that point I knew he wasn't joking. He then again put it in reverse and hit me again. And I was pinned. My vehicle was now pinned between the curb and his car. At that point, I knew that I had to hurry up and get out, and I'm trying to undo my seatbelt. And um, <clears throat> and uh, then he comes around the car, and he opens the door, and he proceeds to grab me and go back and then headbutt me on my left eye where I had received 12 stitches. He then pulled me out of the car and uh, got on top of threw me on the ground and got on top of me in the middle of the road and started to hit me, and I cried out for God's help. And at that moment... As God had it, my face busted open and blood was all over me and him. And at that point, he, he realized, or he, I don't know if he gathered his senses, he picked me up and he threw me. And I started running, and I saw a car coming. And at that point, I, I knew that I was going to be okay, and the car drove past me. And at that point, I knew that um, it was just, I'm going to have to figure out something. So he, the way he was parked... Uh, he was blocking, blocking traffic, so I now was running across the street. My, my face busted open. I'm five two. He's six one. I didn't. I didn't even understand. Now I do why the car wouldn't have stopped, but I do now. Um, and why was that? Maybe maybe she was scared too. Sure. Sure. And I ran across the street, and he then at that point had to move his car because people were honking for him to move. So I, uh, at that point, he rolled out the window and he said, uh, you know, use profanity and called me a new number of names and pretty much told me he would take me to the hospital. And I stood across the street. And at that point in time, God gave me enough strength to say that uh, I'd rather sit here and bleed to death and die than to be around you again. And at that point, uh, about five couple minutes going back and forth, he threw me the keys and I drove myself to the hospital. And uh, received 12 stitches, and he drove away, and they've been looking for him ever since. Oh, wow. Um, Uncomprehendable. For a person to have to live with that, it's not acceptable in this country. It's not acceptable in this world. This This is something has to be done that protects you. You have a right. To liberty, freedom, happiness, that is your right. That is the right of your daughters. Thank God that you have your daughters there. I believe through all of it, they will have a sense of strength that they will not tolerate this. Eric Holder, the former Attorney General of the United States, along with Vice President Biden, spoke on the issue of domestic violence and we're going to hear what they had to say this is a movement if you will 
that's going on in this country to stop this. When I hear this, I am outraged. You're a very small woman. You know what I mean? And you got somebody six one pulling over and in the middle of like the sun's out. Not one person, not one man stopped his car and said, I'm not going to let you kill this woman. Mm -hmm. The issues we have seen in this country of late with people getting killed as a result of violence. A cop pulls over a lady, and I'm making a point here, so go with me, and he's slamming her head on the side of the highway and said, I wanted to protect her. Well, I'll reject your protection. He almost killed this woman. Not one person stopped. Not one person st- That's unacceptable. The police department actually said that between the time that it occurred, there wasn't one phone call to even call. How about how many people have cell phones? That if if I don't want to get out the car, 911, Mm -hmm. there's a lady being attacked. This is the problem of this this nation. Exactly. I don't want to get involved until it's your daughter, your mother, on the side of the road being assaulted. What is it going to take? Do we have to turn on the news? And say uh, one, and hear them say we have a murder in Colorado Springs, where a lady was killed today, and no one thought to pick up the phone and call nine one one. And Lamont, it seems like if you witness a scene like that, that's the first thing that would come to your mind well, to do. Well, you would think that, and it's not nineteen eighty. Well, I have to get to a payphone and put a quarter in and exactly. say let's call. Right. That's not the issue. Let's hear with Vice President. Biden and Eric Holder had to say about this epidemic. Go ahead, please. Same week that Congress voted to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act, at least 15 women and four men were killed by intimate partners. The day the vote took place, the very day that the vote took place, one woman was beaten to death with a baseball bat by her boyfriend. Another was shot by her husband as she left a a movie theater. And yet another woman who was five months pregnant was also murdered by her boyfriend who drove her to a who drove her body to a wooded area and burned it, all with her two children in the car. And this is on the same day that VAWA was reauthorized. Every day three women die at the hands of a boyfriend or a husband or ex husband. Three women every single solitary day. These aren't statistics. These are our mothers or our sisters, our daughters. These are people who mean the world of their families. And for those families, it means a father who uh, won't hear his daughters laugh, or a, or a mom who will not feel the caress of her daughter running her hand along her face, or a, a child who reaches out at night with nobody's hand to grasp. You know, we have to do everything in our power, every single thing in our power to keep these tragedies from recurring. And my message today and the message you've already heard is we can, we can do more to prevent these tragedies from happening. And there you have it. Um, Death, unnecessary death, happening to women across this nation needlessly, needlessly, I think, uh, Justina, where I go in my mind, 
I take that trip to see if that was my sister. You've met my sister here tonight, my other sisters. That if domestic violence touches every part of your life, every part, every part. What would I do in a situation if I saw a man abusing my mother? I was fortunate I'd never seen that. My dad was great to my mother. Uh, and, you know, my, my sisters have been dealt with fine. But what, what I would go through, if, I, if that was on the horizon in my life, and I think that's where America has to go. If that was my sister, my daughter, my best friend's wife being abused, I would be outraged. There's not enough of sitting back and doing nothing. This is change comes with one thing, and that's taking a stand. You have done that, and you've taken steps with that. There was another assault that happened. Give us the details on that one. Um, that was actually the first time that he uh, hit me. I came in late, and uh, he was waiting for me in the kitchen. And he proceeded to uh, punch me, and then I fell to the ground, and he got on top of me and started choking me. And at that time, my daughter, um, Yasmina, came in. And the hardest thing I think I've had to do, besides this whole process, is look at her in the face at that moment and then accept him back into my, my home. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Now, we talked earlier, and I know this is emotional for you, and we thank you. No, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Um, when did you come to the point where you knew he could not be accepted back? When I was coming, after I had spent about three hours in the hospital by myself, when they were giving me stitches, and I was lying to them. And I said I did it to myself. And then I knew I was going to come back to my kids. And at that moment, I knew I couldn't do this anymore. And I was bloody and my clothes were drenched in blood and I went to a friend's house because I couldn't have my children see me like that. And I took a shower and in in me spending that time alone, I just resolved myself to God that I'm going to take care of myself and my children. Good for you. So your children were your motivating factor. Oh, they went with me to court with the restraining orders. I've taken them every step of this way. They're here now with us. Sure. Um, and I'd like to hear from um, Yasmina. Yeah. And I said that right. Yes, yeah, Thank you. I've accomplished a lot tonight with that. When you saw your mom being beat like that, what were your thoughts? I've always known my mother to be a really, really strong person. Um, I've always, she's always had me by her side. She was very strong. She she used to speak publicly as a motivational speaker, and I just loved her for it. So seeing her, someone that she said that she loved, seeing her being abused, I felt like, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like looking at her, I was like, I just felt like heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And then when she when she denied it, I was so angry with her because I knew it was wrong, and I thought that she would know it was wrong too. So I just I, we ha- we actually had a fight about it. I was like, I'm so mad at you. You know, mom, why why would you why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to us? Because I've always been with you. I know who you are. Why don't why don't you know who you are? And 
that's what hurt me the most. And uh, Jamila, when you heard and and I'm trying the best to, to that has to be so difficult. Your thoughts on that? Um, I heard it. My sister witnessed it, and I heard it. Um, I feel like the most heartbreaking thing of it all was my mom wasn't necessarily, you know, trying to defend herself, and it was her begging for him to stop, begging for him that she was sorry. It was all her fault that she was sorry, and it was like it was the only way, obviously, to get you know to stop, to stop, you know, get him to stop. And you know, I understand that that's what she had to do, but it was just like. Is she saying sorry? What she didn't do anything. Sure. And I felt like that was like the most like the biggest thing. Okay. And Justina, yes. you've started a foundation, uh, and I'll tell you right now, you have the support of AJC Radio. Just calls. I appreciate that. To because we fight injustice on every level, on every front. Domestic violence is injustice in the most horrible way, and as the caller alluded to, Lisa earlier. Uh, that the emotional scarring, people tend to leave that. They look at the physical, but the inward scars. Brother Lamont, let me just give you one example of the strength of my daughters. Mm-hmm. About three days ago, she was uh, outside my window again. My daughter, uh, I woke up like we normally do now, stressed, and she says, hurry up, get in the bathroom. The fact that my children had to put me in the bathroom, Sure. And called 911. Um, again, those are the realities that we live with dealing with domestic violence. Those are that's, our realities. That's, uh, well, Lisa? I just had a question for you. You said a minute ago um, uh, what was most difficult for you when you had to look at your daughter and let him back in and welcome him back in or something you said to that nature. Why did you feel like you had to let him stay at that point? A lot of uh, my reliance was uh, financial. Mm -hmm. I have children with him. We built and established a life uh, for religious reasons. I've always um, looked for prayer for my strength, and and he used a lot of that against me. Uh, If I would pray more, if I was a better person, it wouldn't happen. And when you decided to leave, what what had changed at that point? What changed in your mind? What changed within you that made you say it's enough? That he didn't care enough about our children because he was going to kill me. I knew that at that point he didn't care enough. And uh, with him gone, and then what if I was gone? Who was going to tend to our babies? So well, that was it. And, and I've heard that before, the economic impact mm-hmm. uh, and the fear. So I think what they do these perpetrators of domestic violence that do what they do, uh, predators, if you will, not perpetrators, predators, they prey upon the fact that you need them. They're the breadwinner. So a lot of women feel a sense of desperation that, and again, you have two daughters. How are you going to take care of them? I have six daughters. You have six daughters? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We would have needed four more chairs here. Uh, oh, yes. I have, I have six girls. Okay. So, all girls. Boys. And two boys. I have eight babies. You have eight babies. Yes. All mine, and I take care of them, and I love them to death. Okay. No worries on yes. none of that. And yes. uh, that that goes to even how more important it is that this must stop in our country. You heard the kid cry. This, the, the, 
the, the young girl you heard at the beginning of the program screaming that her mommy and daddy were fighting was six years old. She had the state of mind to call 911. And she said, this has been going on forever. A six-year-old. That is so sad. And I think this speaks to, ladies and gentlemen of America, the more we mobilize and become a united front in this country, that's where change happens. The more we making people be responsible and acknowledge that there's something going on that nobody wants to pay attention to. I'm talking about in the religious communities as well. Okay. You know? Sure. No, I, I, I agree with you totally on that. And uh, we got two callers. This has gotten pretty extensive. Man, the time has gone so very quickly. Uh, but we're coming right back, ladies and gentlemen. We are joined by Justina Ramirez, uh, Yasmina, and Jamila. Yes. And they have, you go ahead. Right. They, have, they have decided to join us tonight. And we, I tell you what, we salute your courage tonight, young ladies. Thank you. Uh, you. Because, and, and that goes for you, uh, Justina. You, uh, we didn't say your age, but you're still young. And I'll tell you this. This is what makes the difference, is to get the message out to the masses. Domestic Violence Awareness Month. That's what this is. AJC Radio takes a moment tonight to reflect on the victims, the survivors of domestic violence. And ladies and gentlemen, as you uh, close your evening out tonight, it's 930 in New York City on the East Coast. Kids will probably tuck in, and you may have a daughter that may have Barbies in her room and feels pretty safe. It is imperative to protect her and any children across this country that face what we have heard tonight and potentially face that, we must fight now to protect little Susie as you tuck her in for another day's school tomorrow. This is a real problem in this country, and it's time that we face it head on. This is AJC Radio. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Jeanette Williams, and we are honored with our guests tonight. We're coming back with them. This is AJC Radio visiting and taking a look at domestic violence. We're coming right back. This is Julie. How may I help you? My husband and I just got in a fight and he hit me. With one call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. 
Ask one more. You might just save a life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we touch in on a topic, fighting the injustice of domestic violence. And I'll tell you what, we have been informed this evening uh, with our very special guest, Justina Ramirez, who has suffered at the hand of domestic violence. And we have been uh, privileged to have Judy uh, from the National Network of uh, Ending, excuse me, the National Network for Ending Domestic Violence, uh, she joined us earlier, uh, and we have been very, very pleased with the discussion. And uh, this discussion is going to continue as we deal with this issue that has become an epidemic. And as we have said, the numbers of those that have died at the hand of domestic violence, it is a tragedy. It is unacceptable that that goes on in this country. And we make a plea to the members of Congress, to the President of the United States, and they are doing things, Lisa, that we heard earlier. Uh, the President is very, very passionate about this issue uh, because he has two daughters uh, yeah. that uh, he's wanting to make sure uh, they are safe. And uh, this goes on in every state in this country. Domestic violence is on the rise, and the killings and the death. It yeah. just cannot be tolerated any further. We make a plea to the courts to bring action, and of course legislators to bring tough action against the predators of domestic violence. You have to send a message that hitting, assaulting, and killing the women of the United States of America just will not be tolerated. Right. And uh, we thank you. And Justina, thanks so much uh, for being with us. Uh, Yasmina and Jamila. Uh, thank you so much as well. Now, we talked earlier as we get ready to close this segment out, um, and you have started a foundation. Tell the folks about that foundation. Well, actually, I was uh, blessed enough to be in, invited to D.C. Uh, for the march sure. just recently and uh, to speak on behalf of domestic violence. I went there and uh, was completely overwhelmed with just the support of everyone, and through that we started uh, My Sisters in Strength. It's called SIS. Uh, you can reach me at Justina Ramirez on uh, Facebook or Sisters in Strength on Facebook, or um, the email address is my sisters in strength at gmail.com. Okay, and thank you for that, no uh, Justina. And some closing remarks from the two young ladies uh, that have shown courage tonight uh, that is uh, admirable. And we'll start first with Yasmina. <laughs> I just, um, I actually just want to say that I'm proud of my mother. She, she said Thank no you, babe. this time, and with her going to D.C. and representing all the women in Islam, and you know, just re representing women, period. Sure. Because abuse is not okay. Right. And with my mother coming out and saying that it's not, it's, it's a big step for her. I, I know it is because when you love someone, it's hard for you to let them go even though what you know they're doing is wrong. So I just 
I'm proud of her. And how does this shape you going forward as you plan a life uh, yeah. marriage down oh, the God. road? I mean, you're <laughs> early at 18, but whatever choices you make, as you, I'm sure you go into a relationship as you yeah. see as your life develops further. Right. Uh, very mindful of what you will not tolerate as a result of what you've seen. Would that be a fair statement? Yes, it is. I feel like I have to be very cautious. I feel like um, I have to just have to look for pointers and see what's... I feel like being a victim of um, seeing domestic sure. violence, you you just have to you just have to you're just, you're just, you, now you just have to you know you have you have extra you have to deal with extra you have to see for extra. So you have to be aware of you your do. surroundings, yeah. don't you? More. Okay, and uh, Jamila. Yeah, <laughs> um, I just want to uh, thank my mom uh, for kind of bringing us on the process. She let us come to court with us. Um, I want to thank her for being strong enough to start her organization, um, going to D.C., speaking, even speaking on the radio. I know it's a big deal. Um, I just want to obviously tell you that I'm proud of you, (laughs) showing us that this is obviously not right. Do not let, you won't stand for it. You know, being an example for us is really big. It's awesome. And the emotion is flowing here in AJC Radio. And, uh, Justina, we understand. And, you know, look. Uh, this is real, and uh, perhaps somewhere along the way you will be an inspiration to others. And there are plenty of women out here who have stood up against domestic violence, and I see you as no different of a hero for standing against this type of violence. And please know this is what it must take. And though the difficulty is there, this is absolutely necessary that we might call attention to an epidemic that is killing Thousands of I, women and young girls in this country. I, I think the the reality is is I was just blessed enough not to be one of the four thousand. Sure. Because I'm I very well could have been a statistic. No, oh, absolutely. And I have a right now for all those women that passed away went before me. I have a right, sure. an obligation to say something now. So you no longer have a right to remain silent. Is right. that what we're hearing right there now? There it is. There we go. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's good stuff. And. Uh, we appreciate you, uh, again, being on the program. Uh, we believe in justice on AJC Radio. And, Lisa, as we have been so blessed tonight to have these young ladies in our studio to share with America what we are faced with. You never know what kind of war you're going to fight until you get your, until you get your armor on. Mm-hmm. And now we are aware mm-hmm. of the war. When we look at numbers that less people died in Iraq and Afghanistan than those that have died at the hand of domestic violence. That is still stuck with me. This is war, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is war. And until we stand up and fight and kill domestic violence as a culture that is uh, spreading like a cancer in America, we will continue to see others die. I'm sorry, I think this caller had a question for Jamila. Sure. Or Justina, I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> we got all the J's here at the okay. table. So. Okay, Michelle, you had a question. You're live. Yeah, I was listening to one of your previous calls, and um, they talked about how they were abused, how they had violence as children, and then they experienced it as an adult. I'm curious to know how that stay in an abusive relationship had as children. That was Michelle, their life, that's what they did. Yes, Michelle, mm-hmm. you're you're breaking up on us. We're not able to understand what you're saying. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's apparently a bad connection. Uh, Michelle, thanks for the call. Uh, apparently we cannot hear or understand, but we appreciate the uh, uh, attempt yeah. and the support. <laughs> the attempted phone call, but the support apparently exactly. uh, for Justina and the, and the ladies here. Ladies, thanks for joining us tonight. We're getting ready to take a quick break. We're coming right back with the segment, What You Didn't Know About the RP6, and you don't want to miss that. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Thank you so much. You are welcome. police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice. And making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question for three years. Where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case is the question. We will deliver those answers on our new segment, What You Didn't Know About the IRP-6. We will seek and search for justice, we will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. What you didn't know about the RP6 case starts right now. Well, on the morning of uh, 2005, the day of the FBI raid, I remember uh, someone coming in my office saying the FBI was here. And, uh, 
I thought they were joking possibly, but I uh, looked out the window and saw a lot of FBI agents, so I went to the front entrance and uh, just a feeling of shock. Today, it really makes me angry. I, mean, I remember being shocked the day it happened. I remember seeing FBI agents running into our building, chasing down people. Uh, the events uh, of that day are quite clear to me, uh, and it really brings uh, one to realize in this country uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. Basically waiting for our morning stand-up meeting we have every morning, and hearing the commotion of uh, all these agents coming to the door, and you know, basically being ordered around into the break room without giving any explanation of what's going on or why or who these people were. It took a, actually I remember it took about a minute or two before they even identified themselves as the FBI. The benefit of the doubt was not given to anyone. It was almost, I mean, you want to stand by certain truths about the United States that you know, innocent to you guilty. And it was like, from the minute they walked in that door and the way we were treated, we were treated as criminals, we were treated as if, uh, I mean, I, we were treated as if we weren't even Americans. And it's, it just shocks you sometimes that uh, when you think back and you, you realize how Authority in the wrong hands can, you know, really be, can really take away your freedom. We were out there trying to help them, and they just really tried to demoralize us. Contributing to the development of a lot of those uh, uh, concepts and precepts and the architecture and the, and, and the technical uh, framework for the software. When I heard about the raid, I thought, how, how weird is this? How ironic is this? Do they want to, what are they doing? And if they, what is the intent? And if they shut us down, uh, could this be um, purposely done? That we're doing so well to help them that they don't want us to do that well? What is it? There needs to be some justice in this particular type situation. And somebody out there knows something uh, on exactly what happened to our company and what, what reasoning uh, and what events led somebody to come actually uh, do something so sinister to our company and to try to impede our progress. And, and uh, yes, we do believe somebody came in there for the express purpose to acquire our software for illegal means uh, just on the eve of us uh, closing business and having some of the most promising meetings uh, to conclude business that we had ever had in the history of our company. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What you didn't know about the RP6 story, the case. We're going to ask some tough questions, and we will, without question, get the answers. That is dedicated. Who are the IRP6? David Banks, uh, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. And tonight as we get into this, uh, we will begin again. What you didn't know about the IRP6 story. And tonight the question is this, Lisa Jeanette, what you didn't know about the RP6 case is that the federal grand jury that was impaneled called, to testif uh, called members of church members to testify, and they were peppered with questions regarding the church. But the key here, Lisa, is what you didn't know 
is that they came back with no indictment. Absolutely. That's right. That is critical. And then two years later, January of 2009, Lorelli Larson, chief investigator at Philadelphia Office of the Inspector General, contacted David Banks via email saying that they were excited to do business with IRP Solutions. Lisa, that's what you didn't know, that not only did the first grand jury come back with no indictment, we have a the Inspector General for Philadelphia says we are excited to implement this program, that these men have presented something that will keep America safe. Lisa, your thoughts on that? Yes, because they had been working with the Philadelphia Police Department in developing something for them and working with customizations for them as well. They were working on a project for them. They had been in talks with them. They had been in negotiations with them. They had been very excited about it. And they, when, the, when the first grand jury came, to, came into play, none, none of that changed. They called their witnesses in, and they did not come back with an indictment. The reason they did not come back with an indictment is because the grand jury members actually heard both sides of the story. Oh, absolutely. If you know anything about the grand jury, it is a joke. Oh, because absolutely. it is one-sided. It is not fair. It is unfair justice. Excuse me. It's injustice, so justice doesn't apply. <laughs> right. But I'll tell you right now, they came back and said, we see no crime. But then for, the, for them to say, well, this, Lisa, they made the statement that they were fronting, that this company was not for real. Exactly. Then tell me one answer, answer this question. Why is the Inspector General, a very high, powerful office in any state, answerable to federal authorities? Make the statement, we are excited, Mr. Banks, about your software, because here's the key, ladies and gentlemen, what you didn't know about the RP6 case is that the software that was developed was developed for one reason, to keep the homeland and our shores safe from ISIS, from terrorist groups, threats across this country that threaten the safety and security of the United States of America. That is what you didn't know. So then what happened? The Inspector General says we are ready to begin implementation of this software through hard work, long nights of these six men working to keep America safe. What you didn't know about the RP6 case is this. Gary Walker, David Banks, the men who developed the software were at Ground Zero in New York City. They saw the terror, the horror, the aftermath of those Twin Towers. The statement was made that we will not allow this to happen on our watch. What you didn't know about the RP6 is that they were dedicated and committed to protecting the homeland. If there's anything else more important than that, I'd like to hear it right now. That keeps your children, their children, grandchildren, everyone in this country safe. What you didn't know about the RP6 case, that was ignored. By prosecutors. Yes, it was. That was ignored by Judge Arguello. That wasn't ignored. I wonder, the question I asked tonight, Lisa, Jeanette, is this. If they knew, Judge Arguello, uh, uh, the U.S. Attorney, Matthew, Matthew Kirsch, Kirsch mm-hmm. the jury, had they known that this software developed would help them sleep better at night, would keep them from seeing an ISIS situation in their communities. 
Ladies and gentlemen, they have said already, what you didn't know is this. Sleeper cells for ISIS reside in every state here in America. Sleeper cells of ISIS. So does it take ISIS going to our playgrounds, to our school halls, and chop the head off of a baby? Lamont, and that's, um, that's, that's the thing that's so disturbing about this situation is they did know. They did know. They knew all of this. At the time they uh, convicted these men and called a second grand jury, all this stuff, they did know. The information was there. Well, the question we have on that, we're talking, in that case, the jury. See, the jury was not allowed to know anything. Now, Judge Aguayo, she knew but failed to allow this information to the jury. Had, as I sit here and ponder this question, had the jury known and been able to hear the purpose, the vision of why that software was created, I guarantee you right now there is no conviction in that case. Well, Lamont, the grand jury came back with a no bill because they heard both sides of the story. Anybody hearing both sides of the story could not possibly come back and say that these men had done something wrong. That was the whole mean, that was the whole point. They, I mean, when, I, when, when they say that, when the prosecutor says that they can indict a ham sandwich, they can do that. They came back with a no bill because they heard both sides of the story. No, absolutely. If they can tell a one-sided story and let the, let the grand jury only hear one side and not let, not let the whole, both sides be heard, yeah, they can indict anybody. But when both sides get out there, that's when they have a problem. That's well, right. That was their problem. That's why they came back with a no bill. Well, well, there you have it. And, uh, Lisa, I suggest you get a law degree tomorrow because uh, I'll tell you right now, this is the reality of our justice system in America as six men who hold the key to the safety and the national security of the United States. Think of that. When you lay your head on your pillow tonight, ladies and gentlemen, remember what you didn't know is that the IRP-6 are patriots of America, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, and Clinton Stewart. The IRP-6, where we fight for justice for the patriots that languish in prison wrongfully tonight. Join us next week for what you didn't know about the IRP-6 case. And Lisa, who do we need to thank tonight? Well, we want to thank our guest that called it, our calling guest tonight, Ms. Judy Benitez. We also want to thank our three guests that are in studio tonight, Justina, Jamila, and Jasmina. Did I get thank those right, you. guys? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we want to thank you guys for coming in and sharing your story with us. It was tremendously touching and moving, and we have our support 100%. We thank, thank you so you. much for that. Also want to thank our production staff. Cap, uh, who are you guys? Captain Kyle. I think they call Kyle, right? Yep. Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson helping out Ill Skillers Girl in the control room. They only got one honeycomb kid yes. back there now in training. And she's doing very, very well back They're there, I believe. Awesome. <laughs> and then we also have our research team that is giving us up-to-date and correct information so that we can pass that information on to you. We appreciate all that they're doing. Also, to the truth, we know you're out there. We appreciate your support, and we thank you for it. No, absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, you can hear this program on AJCRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter. Is it follow us on Twitter? Yes. Like us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Those two worlds mix up a little bit. There we go, folks. Go out to social media. Tell the folks about this show, about domestic violence. And uh, join us every Thursday as we do Spotlight on Capitol Hill. 
where we highlight members of Congress and what they are doing to implement change. And I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, and Justina, you've been a delight. Two ladies, thank you so, so very much. We will continue to fight injustice. If you need us, you know how to reach us. Call us. We will send the message out for justice on any level, and we will. One thing you will know about AJC and a just cause, we will not stop fighting for justice. We're right here beside you. There we go. (laughs) Folks, have a good night as you tuck the kitties in. School starts early tomorrow, and have a delightful night. As you enjoy the lingering days of good weather, because I'll guarantee you, for most places across this country, it is going to change as we approach the month of November. Do you believe that? Join us for Let's Talk on November 10th. Bernie Bernard Carrick will be joining us. Colorado Springs Fellowship, hosted by Pastor Rose Banks. And I'll tell you what, he is a peer of law enforcement. And uh, you don't want to miss that. November 10th, 7 p.m. at Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Great things are ahead. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen of America. Good night. And take care. Good night.
Lisa, we're... Hello? 